Welcome to episode 221 of the 200 Churches podcast. Like for me, I mean, I've been in the church since I was born. My dad was a pastor until I was like nine and then just, you know, head elders of churches. And I I was in the church. I can front nice all day long. (laughs) But what is life changing for me and what is healing for me and what is empowering for me to keep doing what I'm doing is just sheer honesty, you know, getting gut level real with some people and being okay with that, being okay with not having all the answers. I don't know what one day is going to look like when I walk through the door. I never know what I'm going to say. Never know. I make plans, <laughs> but usually <laughs> those are changed by the end of the day. So it's a good thing. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry. The Archie and Jughead of Ministry Podcasts. Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Johnny Craig, and I'm here doing a late night recording sesh with the man. They're all late night, Johnny. Jeff Katie. Well, you they're late night for you. Usually I'm, you know. It's morning for me, sun actually. Sun is shining, you know, when I'm doing them. Hey, this is a different episode. And you know, a lot of times when we're recording, I want to remind our listeners we're just like you. We are. We are. That's not true because we're much dumber than our listeners. Now, I have nothing. <laughs> I can't do anything with that. I can't do anything with that. Either way, it's not going to work gonna out. Be good, yeah. I called you 30 minutes ago and I said, You and I have very different crazy lives. We do, Jeffrey. We have very I'm going crazy one lives. direction, you're going another direction. You have some news, though. Come on now. I do have news. Share it. I do have news as of April 7th, 2017. I am a proud grandfather of my third grandchild, a second grandson. Oh, my goodness. The name Cash Jeffrey Katie. Jeffrey, where'd they get that? Hey, they, they'll, they can do anything with names these days. <laughs> you, know? Do you know? Cash Jeffrey. That's great. And I think it's the only time that Cash and my first name have ever, ever been associated, associated with each other. That's wonderful. Absolutely. So That's Cash wonderful. with a K. Cash Katie. Very nice. Uh, he's going to be a basketball player, you know, with oh, a name sure. like Cash yeah. Katie. Well, it's, yeah, Cash it's, Money. It's bound to be. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was early this morning. Very cool. We've been driving with our eyes open and closed and all that good stuff. Yeah, man. And you, on the other hand, are home with the four little kiddos. Yep. Wife's and out of town. And it's uh, the wife's yeah, it's doing business. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, well, you and I are. Different very, directions. Very different. Different directions. But united in heart and purpose. Yes. To encourage pastors of small churches. Hey, man. <laughs> so today, today's a shorter episode. Yeah. I've had this in my back pocket for literally months and months. Yeah. And I'm pulling it out for this week. It's a good because, one. Because uh, this has to do with working in a in a urban setting, yes. uh, working in a very rough neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There are a couple that work with our denomination, yeah. uh, Steve and Robin Boda. They're with Bridge of Hope in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. We visited them last summer, and I got a few minutes to sit down with Robin Boda. Very cool. Robin has Hope Education there at Bridge of Hope, and she works with mostly adult learners and and That's interesting. a number of adult learners that are still learning how to read. Wow. 
And uh, we talk about it. As I recall, I, of course, shed a few tears uh, over oh. this situation. <laughs> and uh, we spent, uh, how, what did we spend, like a week there? Yeah. Uh, a group of us from our church. Yeah. And it was, a, it was life-changing for me yeah. to be in a community quite, that was... quite a place. Yeah. I mean, it was like third world in this community yeah. in uh, North City, uh, uh, St. Louis. Yeah. So this is a this is a conversation Robin and I had, and it's uh, uh, if for those of you who are in, are are in urban ministry, uh, you'll recognize some of this stuff. And Johnny, you've you've done some stuff with the community development group. What was what's the was name C- of that? CCDA, yeah, CCDA, run by John Perkins. Um, well, started by John Perkins. I don't know that he runs it anymore. Right, it's become its own its own endeavor. But yeah, we've uh, my wife and I have done a little bit with CCDA. The school here in town has a whole minor that you can get in Christian community development. So that's a very cool. Uh, it's a very cool thing. If you've never heard of CCDA, definitely check it out, look it up, and get involved. In How is Christian community development? That's like that's parachurch. We're talking about church on this podcast. We're talking about ministry. How are they connected? I think that probably the CCDA model depends on churches um acting like the church you always say the church isn't the building right the church is the people right right and i think ccda is all about when church members live intentionally within their communities and uh our intentional neighboring might be a, a word that you would say and really it's about incarnational living in in the neighborhood and whatever your neighborhood is, being an intentional neighbor, an incarnational neighbor, and working for the good of your neighborhood. And churches, I think, can can play a huge role in that as well. You got to think creatively and you got to think outside of the box maybe a little bit, but it's worthwhile, I think, to look at. So this isn't like uh, crunchy new ideas for millennial type stuff. This is actually legitimate <laughs> stuff. Yeah, very legitimate. It's, it's old. I mean, well, it's a couple decades. You know, it's not like it just popped out of the ground. But it's all rooted in Christ, right? Yeah. Jesus came. They like to say Jesus moved into the neighborhood, right? He he came in the flesh. And so we now, how do we exist in our neighborhoods? So cool stuff. Very cool stuff. You said something earlier, and again, I'm always joking around. I want to be really serious for a minute. You said <laughs> you said the church acting like the church. Yeah. That That struck me when you said that because... What's the alternative, right? The church <laughs> sure. acting like the church that our culture assumes is an organization that exists in a location and does certain things. Yeah. We get caught up in our cultural mores of what a church is, and we stop being the church. Right. You know, so we're, we're the small C church, and we're not the big C church. Right. And I think that, Pastor, think about this. We pastors sometimes think, well, you know, that that couldn't happen. If we're the church, we're the church. We can never stop being the church. Well, we can stop acting, and you use the term acting. We can stop acting like the church. When we no longer see our community, we only see to the boundaries of the four walls of our church. Yeah. We did a great episode with Dave Jacobs about churches when they become inwardly focused. Right. You know, what that looks like. Yeah. Right. And you just asked somebody maybe last week, you said, when does a church planter stop being a church planter? Yeah, John Chandler, yeah. Okay, when does a church plant become a church? Yeah. And maybe another question is, you know, when is our church, and 
and as a listener, you could just put the name of your church in there. When is your gonna, church going to start acting like <laughs> sure. the church? <laughs> right, right, right. And lest we think that you know the way we do church is just the this is the standard right. by which everything should be measured. No, the way Jesus taught us to be the church in the New Testament and the way Paul taught us to be the church and the way James and Peter taught us and John to be the church yeah. in the New Testament, that's the way that we have to act like yeah. the church, not like however the 21st century, see, I almost said 20th century, <laughs> not the way the 21st century sees us right. as a church. Yeah. And that's so important. So I like that statement, the church acting like the church. Well, Robin and uh, Steve Boda are the church acting like the church there in St. Louis. And uh, this was a great conversation you had. So let's get out of the way and uh, give Robin a chance to tell her story. So I'm here with Robin Boda at uh, Bridge of Hope in St. Louis, Missouri. And Bridge of Hope has been doing what it's doing for over 20 years with you and Steve. You are a small church. You would qualify for small church ministry. So talk about what you do here at Bridge of Hope in North City, right, St. Louis? So you want to know about all of Bridge of Hope or just Hope Education? Because that's kind of my baby. Well, talk just briefly about all of it so that we have a context to set the Hope Education in. Sounds good. So Bridge of Hope does urban ministry by daily offerings of everything from clothes to showers to laundry facilities to a hangout room a cup of coffee and they can and people coming in can learn how to grow vegetables they can learn how to preserve food they can also learn how to do aquaponics steve has that and he has a few guys that he is actually training them to be compost they pick up compost for pay. So they do that. Um, and then my, the education room is called Hope Education, and that is, that's what I spend all my time doing. So you, Robin, are, you and Steve, of course, married, mm-hmm. and uh, you're here, and you are in this room all day, every day? Pretty much. I mean, four days a week I'm here. Yeah. Okay. And so people stop in. What I mean, what kind of people in the community, what... What part of the community would stop in and use Bridge of Hope? And then what part of the community would stop in to be involved in Hope Education? A lot of people coming in are homeless. That's probably the bulk of our population coming through. Either homeless or very at risk of being homeless, meaning that they're couch surfing, so they're technically homeless, um, or they're half a paycheck away. I mean, a lot of people in America are a paycheck away from homelessness, but these guys are the poorest of the poor, I would say. And when they come in, they have all kinds of needs. So they need a job. They need, when you dig a little deeper and you sit down with them, they'll say, hey, I need you to help me fill out this application. And when you start doing that, you realize, wow, they really are struggling with spelling some very basic words, like the street they live on, or the, you know, where their grandmother stays or wherever they're gonna receive their mail. Um, and so then you just start digging a little deeper slowly and try to encourage them to come and get some educational support. The educational support I provide is all basic, basic reading and basic math and basic writing. So the bulk of what I do is teach people how to read. Um, and it's not just handing them worksheets that are paragraphs. It's actually sounding out words. You know, m i l k. So you're you're saying the bulk of what you do is teaching adults and older kids how to read. Um, The bulk of what I do is I don't I think it's probably fifty fifty between K through twelve and adults. 
so it's probably 50-50 the number of as far as the number of students coming through um, I do work with, you know, I, I say I work with everybody from 4 to 84. Whenever you talk about people who are living in poverty, you talk about extreme trauma. A lot of my students have witnessed murders. A lot of my students have witnessed insane violence and sometimes um, abuse up close. And so in order to combat that, you really need to address whole family, right? So that's why what we do matters. It's important. And so a student coming in saying they need their GED, really need to learn how to read. We start working on that, and then we find out, oh, I have three kids who are really struggling in school, and I can't help them. Oh, okay, so we got we to gotta deal with that, too. And I have a job interview tomorrow, but I don't have a shirt to wear. Okay, let's go down the hall and get a shirt. You know, um, let's go chop some chives for my ramen noodles tonight. So that kind of deal. And it's kind of one-stop shop, you know. So you've got a food pantry at one end of the hall and a clothing closet or uh-huh. a room yeah. at the other end of the hall. And you have, do you have people who regularly need these things? Yeah, all the time. And the clothing keeps people coming back. So a lot of our population, because they're staying in vacant buildings, they'll often get locked up. They'll, yeah, be incarcerated. I'm, I always say locked up because that's what everybody in the community says. And there's, there's other issues going on in their life, a lot of addictions. Some people are felons, some people aren't. Um, but when they get out of prison, guess what? They need clothes from the get-go. They need, from the ground up, they need everything. And probably our most common giveaways are socks, underwear, and, and toiletries. Those are our most common giveaways. We give those away every Thursday, and they're the most asked-for items. Because you can't just go and share those with somebody else. You know, you have to get fresh. So this is a, this is it's a tough ministry, and um, how do you hope education? Right, nice name. How do you keep up hope that what you're doing in this neighborhood is making a difference? When when you you know it is kind of like right emptying the swimming pool with a teaspoon, but one teaspoon at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And celebrate the teaspoons, right? I mean, you know, this morning we had a lady in here and she was trying to reduce fractions and it was just tripping her up so bad. And she's just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, okay, let's stop. Maybe we need to shift gears and do something else for a minute. But why don't we do this? Why don't we pray over this? Let's just lay it out before the Lord. Let's see what he does. And and we just, you know, we talk it through, you know, what does persistence looks, look like in our lives? There's many, many, many times when we feel like bailing and we can't. Um, We have to keep trying. We have to keep at it. So every day at the end of their session, whether they're working on reading or math or whatever, they have to give themselves a score of 1 to 10 on persistence. Like how well did I, when I hit the wall and I wanted to check out, did I keep trying? Did I hang in there? Did I work on my own until Robin or another volunteer was able to come over and help me out? Or did I, you know, check out and go get a cup of coffee and hide in the hangout room? (laughs) And and it's a good conversation. You know, we all check out some days, and I am included with that. I constantly am telling them my stories of failure because I feel like they have things to offer me. I mean, that's our big five. God made me unique. I have strengths. I have weaknesses. I have something to learn, and I have something to teach. Every person walking through my door needs to buy into that, whether it's students or volunteers or teachers. I had to fire a congressman because he was mistreating his authority, if you will. He was talking down a student, which we never do in here. He was disregarding him. It was very difficult. And he's a volunteer, right? So it's not really even firing. It's firing a volunteer. But, it, but it's a standard that I'm not willing to bend on. 
the students find incredible rapport with the volunteers when they buy into that. They start talking about things that they know that the volunteer doesn't know, and it's, it's really empowering for volunteers coming in from suburbia that have no clue about urban issues getting a little bit of education and realizing, wow, I really have a lot to learn from you. And, you know, they're my greatest heroes, in all honesty. I mean, I, I have so many students that are persevering under the most painful of conditions. And, you know, if learning to read is a huge obstacle for you, you're dealing with a lot of shame and fear. And they're facing their greatest fear every day. Many of them have been so ridiculed by teachers, by family members, by, you know, Friends at the library saying, what are you doing here? I know you can't read. Mm. It, it's so shameful. And it would be a lot easier to hustle. It would be a lot easier to sell dope. It would be a lot easier to, you know, just to, to make money in an illegal fashion. I mean, it really would be. So they're my heroes for, stick, for hanging in there and keep trying. It is hard to keep them keeping on. I mean, it's really hard for that because they're... You know, it's easy to check out. When you feel overwhelmed to that extent, you, everybody wants to check out. Because they don't have to be here, right? They don't. Yep. So they're here voluntarily. Mostly. I do have a few that are mandated PO. Yeah, parole officers are okay. mandating it. So this time of year, I think everybody would like to fire a congressman. So you, you, get, the, you, get, get, the, the you get the award. You get the award. So now, now finally, let's... Talk, we're talking to small church pastors, mm-hmm. um, trying to make the case, because it, it's reality, but the case is hardly ever made, that small churches are making a huge difference for the kingdom in their communities, and that a chain of small church links is going to make a big difference. So you, you're a small ministry here. What kind of a difference have you made in the community over the last 20 years when you and your husband are the only full-time employees? It's hard to say. Um, A lot of people who've come through who we've met and who we've hung out with for a few years and that have gotten to a more stable place in life have moved on. They've moved to LA, they've moved to Texas, they've moved to the county, uh, suburbs in St. Louis as we call it, the county. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, we don't have a lot to show for it right here. It's a very overwhelming ministry and unless you're called you probably won't be around for a really long time. We've kind of watched people come and go. But guess what? You know, a guy who used to not be able to be in the same room with his mom is now living there without getting in trouble, without getting in fights. You know, for six months he's been with her now. You know, that's cool. That's progress. It's something you have to look for the things to measure. And that's one of my greatest frustrations is measuring progress, right? Um, Grants, you know, we get a, a sizable grant from the PGA and we love that. We love the partnership. They love who we are and they love what we're doing. But they do want to see a grid, you know, and a nice, neat, you know, these ki- these students are making this kind of project or progress. And in order to fund new projects or new growth, right, they want to see, show me the stats, you know, show me what my money's doing. Right. Really hard to measure that. Really hard. Um, but if you look for stuff, I personally am inspired by students to keep, if they just come to class regularly. That's huge in our society, in our community. It's it's huge for them to keep coming back. Even if they're just touching base with me every week and they're not even in class, but I know that it's on their radar and they want to get back. But life right now is just keeping them you know, tied up with kids or um, sick parents. I mean, 
life is very different here. I noticed that. <laughs> I noticed that. We we got back last night from going to the to see the arch, mm-hmm. and apparently a couple of our volunteers were just outside the door, and they heard seven gunshots within the neighborhood, and that potentially could mean somebody's life ends. And the day before, a couple people did have their life ends. So what I want to challenge you with, Robin, and for you as small church pastors, we think about the lives that we're changing. You're thinking about the people that come in here into Bridge of Hope and the lives that are changing. But then then think about the teams, and I'm sure you have, but let me remind you again. Think about the teams that show up, like our team from Orange City with 11 people Mm -hmm. and a team from Newton, Iowa with 20-something people. And our lives are changed. Praise God. Thankful for that. When we see your lives, when we see your heart, it challenges our heart. When we see what you guys do every single day, it makes what we do pretty easy and probably shouldn't complain and probably should maybe even work harder and smarter and more strategically and a little more cheaply, right, to see what you guys are doing here. So think about all the teams. How many teams How many teams come through in a given year? Do you have any idea? I don't. I mean, any hundreds of people come through in a given year. I mean, in a month we might see 50 to 150 man hours. I mean, seriously, we see a lot of people. A lot of people. So those lives are being Matthew 25, right? Mm-hmm. The cup of cold water, the yeah. visit. And they get to see all of, pretty much all of those, <laughs> I need this, you know, I was yeah. sick, I needed clothes, I was thirsty. Yeah. You see all of that here in this place every single week and sometimes every single day. Yeah. So it's a big difference. What do you have to say to pastors of small churches, men and women, uh, all around the country, they, they, it seems like they're serving in obscurity and that nobody notices and that there's not a lot of, of, of that quantifiable progress. What, what would you say to them? I'm a good Hang guy. out with Jesus. I mean, I, it's my time alone with him and my friendship with him is invaluable. I could not do what I do without it. You know, I couldn't, and I, I can't, I can't pass on something I don't have, and it's my own, right? That I live it, I breathe it. You know, be honest about your struggle. Be honest. Share it with people. Don't hide it. Don't pretend that it's not there because we all have struggles. And look for the people. Look for the broken person to minister to you because they have stuff to offer you. It's amazing to be prayed over by somebody who has experienced a loss that you're, you know, they've watched you and they come and pray for you crazy awesome let it happen you know share life with people and and stay dependent on jesus you know stay in the vine and you'll produce good fruit and you will be confident that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and look for look for those broken people because they are valuable sometimes they make the fastest progress they make the fastest steps toward the lord because they they know they're broken they know they need help there's there's no fronting with them you know like for me, I mean, I've been in the church since I was born. My dad was a pastor until I was like nine. And then just, you know, head elders of churches. And, you know, I, I was in the church. I can front nice all day long. <laughs> but what is life-changing for me and what is healing for me and what is empowering for me to keep doing what I'm doing is just sheer honesty, you know, getting gut level real with some people and being okay with that. Being okay with not having all the answers 
I don't know what one day is going to look like. When I walk through the door, I never know what I'm going to say. Never know. I make plans, <laughs> but usually <laughs> those are changed by the end of the day. So it's a good thing. Well, recently we had uh, New Testament scholar Dr. Janine Brown from the mm. hallowed halls of academia wow. talk to us about um, letting God's word shape us. Mm. And right now here mm. you're talking from the street about letting Jesus, time with Jesus, and getting love from him. Otherwise, you won't have it to share with others. Let that time with Jesus shape us. Yep. And man, we need both. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen around here is God's word lived out. Mm-hmm. Not just explained, but incarnated. So yeah. thank you, Robin. You're welcome. I had wanted to have a conversation with Robin's husband, Steve. Yeah. But things were so crazy, we, we just never got to it. We never got to it, and we left. Yeah. Well, what? Is, how does John Finkeldy say it? You were flat out the whole time. I, I was flat out. Just We just didn't have the time. And and his life is just going from one, uh, this, I don't mean this, I mean this, one dumpster fire to the next. <laughs> you know, it's just one, one uh, emergency. Yeah, 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 just one emergency to the next. And if there's a dumpster fire and the dumpster's right next to your business or your home, you got to put that thing out. Yeah. And so it just seems like he's going from one to the next to the next. Right. And they're legitimate people needs, right? That, yeah. Be- yeah. Because he's put, he's put himself into a community where people have like serious major stuff going on and he's just, you know, going from one thing to the next. While we were there, I had some experiences that I've never had. Uh, some of them involving old safes, some of them involving junkyards. <laughs> Some of them involving, <laughs> you know, driving, you know, through a really bad part of the city with people I have no idea who they are. Yeah. Um, Hoping to make it back. Right. Right. Literally. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, we're we're halfway down the block and I'm realizing what I just done by getting into this vehicle. <laughs> it's, fine. I'm thinking, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. This is. But but man, I, I really uh, it gave me a different understanding of yeah. what what people go through, people that aren't like me and people who don't live in a town like Orange City. Right. And literally, Steve and Robin, when they go to work in the morning, they drive through Ferguson, Missouri. Sure. Some of you might have heard of Ferguson, Missouri. It's That's been right. in the news yeah. in the last few years, yeah. right? And it's, But it's their, it's their community. It's where they live. And so I guess the question for our listeners is, where's their Ferguson? Right. right. Where, where is the community near them that would uh, and where's their Samaria? You know, the, yep. just the community north of them or southeast west. That's just different that you maybe wouldn't normally find yourself there. Yeah. And Jesus uh, had to pass through Samaria. Yeah. Right. And see the woman at the well and go into the town and stay for a few days. Where is that for your church? Yeah. It's out there. It's out there, and and I think it's uh, it's important that all pastors be thinking about that question. I mean, at our at at the worst, pastors can become program managers of their church. You, that's not what God called you to. That's yeah. not what God called you to. You know, men and women who have been called to pastor churches, you've not been called to be program managers. You've been called to carry out, right, the the mission of the church and go to Samaria and go to Ferguson and go to wherever it is for you with the good news, right, this transformative good news. We're getting a little preachy. This is a very strange podcast. We've never, we've never used that term, program manager. No, we I should. I use it sometimes with a friend derogatively. Okay. <laughs> but... 
<laughs> no, I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast. Well, that's convicting, though. Yeah. So, I mean, i got to ask myself, am I the program manager? Yeah. Or are you a biblical shepherd, elder, right. bishop, teacher, whatever it is, yeah. and are you sharing truth? Man, you could get into that. Yeah. You can get into a lot of that. That's but, another episode. But this has been a short episode, yep. but... But uh, if you're used to spending another 20 to 30 minutes listening to our podcast, <laughs> Go listen to another one. Hey, just take five of those minutes and ask yourself where can you step into the lives of other people that are different than you? Yeah. And where can your church step into the lives? And maybe for some of you, you know where that is because you've been talking, your church has been thinking about it, but you just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Yep. You haven't uh, engaged that yet. And maybe this episode was something that just got you thinking about it. So We hope so. I really do hope that you think about it. It's been good, uh, Johnny, being with you tonight. Yep. And uh, you're going home and going to bed. After, absolutely. I'm getting to sleep. <laughs> You've got another adventure tomorrow, and so do I. That's so, right. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guy's free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church. I have a short post to this episode, episode 221, which came out on April the 12th, 2017. You heard me talking about Steve Boda, which was Robin's husband. And on Monday, April the 10th, Steve had a heart attack and was taken by ambulance from Bridge of Hope Ministries to the hospital. Uh, he has uh, He's been treated, had a couple stints put in, and is doing much better. But hey, you never know when you make these recordings what's going on sometimes in the lives of the people that you record with and in their ministries. Uh, this is obviously a, a setback for them. But Steve and Robin are full of faith. They're excited to serve God. And uh, I looked at some pictures of Steve on Facebook, and he's, uh, he's a goofy guy. He's a happy guy, thankful to be alive. Uh, but if you think about it, this week, uh, pray for Steve and Robin Boda and Bridge of Hope Ministries, and especially for Steve as he recovers from this heart attack and as he moves forward uh, with God's blessing and with God's strength and also with the opportunity to take some maybe some much needed rest and relaxation off for just a little while. Thanks so much.